We'll invite you to turn with me this morning to Psalm 102. Um, as always, it's a, a great joy and privilege for me to be with you all. It is a delight to see familiar faces and new ones and um, bring greetings from countryside, especially from uh, Tom and our other elders um, to you all. We love you and pray for you often and just thank God for the, the work that God is doing in and through you. And, um, it's also exciting that we are, we are moving towards another church plant at Countryside. Appreciate your guys' prayers for us um, as we uh, anticipate that in the coming months and years and uh, thankful for the resource and encouragement. Uh, some of you have already been in that process and know that you guys will continue to be a help and blessing to those who participate in, in that plan in the days ahead. Well, this morning, I, I want us to look at Psalm 102, and, and as we begin, I, I want you to think about things that are the most stable or the most enduring in our world, things that don't seem to change. You know, you might think of things like death and taxes, the old, old saying goes, those are certainties in life. If, if, you know, in Texas, you might think of things like the, the Texas summer heat up until about a, a week or a couple days ago when we got a little bit of a reprieve. Or, or you may think of, of things like physical landscapes. You know, you, you may picture the Rocky Mountain Range and if you've been to Colorado and, and you drive up and just see the, the magnitude of those and the stability of those mountain ranges. You know, you don't go to Colorado on vacation to say, gee, I wonder if the mountains are still there. Let's go find out. You, you may go to see, is there snow? Are the aspens changing? But the mountains are, are something that is stable. No one says, you know, let's go make sure we see Pike's Peak before it disappears. But the reality is, as much as there are things in this life that we think are stable, that never change, there is only one being in the universe that is truly enduring and unchanging. That is the one true God who is eternally the same. Everything else in our life and world may shift. You know, sometimes that shift is a, a literal physical one. I remember growing up in, in Missouri in an elementary school, we had a, a, an earthquake, a minor one, where the, the ground beneath us, the thing that you think is most stable, was shaking. And they called for a, uh, uh, there was some scientist guy who said there was gonna be a big one coming and we got off school on the day that the earthquake was supposed to happen. It didn't happen, thankfully. Um, but that's, that's a, a, a literal physical shift I was talking to a member of our church yesterday who was displaced from their house because a, a driver in their neighborhood fell asleep and literally ran their car through their yard into the front of their house, causing their house to shift and shake. You know, those are not the normal kinds of shifts and change that we see in our life. More often it is just the, the constant trials and and, and things that take place in the world around us, whether that's major international events like the war in, in Israel or diagnosis of illness in ourselves or a loved one or any number of various colored trials that come in a fallen world. Our world is constantly changing, but God is perfectly stable. And we find stability in the midst of an ever-shifting world when we are firmly grounded in him. When we speak of God being eternally the same, we're, we're really referring to two attributes of God, two realities about him that are always true. His eternality, the fact that he exists and has existed forever, and his immutability, the fact that he doesn't change. You know, to, 
to be immutable or unchanging, one has to be eternal. Those two are related. To go from not existing to existing is a pretty big change, right? Or to go from existing to not existing is a big change. God does not change and therefore God always is and has been. We see both of these realities about God in the text I want us to consider today, Psalm 102, with a a particular focus on the end of this psalm, verse 25 through 27, says this, of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. And all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not come to an end. Now this psalm is a prayer or a cry to the Lord in the midst of affliction. We'll look briefly at various parts of it as we focus on this key theme in these verses You know, this psalm is both a a personal lament. You see a lot in this psalm of of I and my, the things that are happening to an individual, the affliction and suffering and anguish that has come. But, But it's also really a national lament. You see in the middle of this psalm a focus on God's restoration of of Israel, of, of the coming promises fulfilled that God has given to his people. And it's also messianic, it's a reflection of of Christ. We see in Hebrews chapter one, uh, this text, Psalm uh, verses 25 and 26, quoted about Jesus as the eternal one in contrast to to the angels. This Psalm opens with a, a brief prayer in verses one and two where the psalmist says, hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me in the day when I call, answer me quickly. He's crying out to the Lord and, and then we see really two phases of lament. One in, in verses three through 11 where the psalmist is pouring out his heart to the Lord about the anguish and suffering that he is facing. He, he revisits that briefly in, in, uh, in verse 23 and, and then you've got two sections where he's focusing in light of his suffering on who God is and what he has done and will do. Notice verse 12, you see this transition, but you, O Lord, abide forever. The psalmist goes from crying out to the Lord and lamenting what is is going on in his life to an intentional focus on who God is. That's what I hope will be true of us today as we consider these things together and as we begin to consider the God who is eternally the same, the psalmist first draws our attention to the contrast to God who is eternally the same. The contrast, we're gonna see three elements of, uh, uh, or three realities that are different than God. God is always stable, always consistent, unlike first our circumstances. We see our circumstances change. Look back at verse three and just, just listen as I read the reality of what was going on in this psalmist's life and experience. He says, for my days have been consumed in smoke and my bones have been scorched like a hearth. 
My heart has been smitten like grass and has withered away. Indeed, I forget to eat my bread. Because of the loudness of my groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I resemble a pelican of the wilderness. I've become like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I've become like a lonely bird on a housetop. My enemies have reproached me all day long. Those who deride me have used my name as a curse for I've eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping because of your indignation and your wrath for you have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a lengthened shadow and I wither away like grass. Now we don't know exactly what was going on in the psalmist's life and experience that caused him to be reeling in this way. We, we see that this was clearly a season of great difficulty and trial. His circumstances had certainly changed for the worse. And he was devastated by those things and was crying out to God in response to those things. This is not unique. This is not just the psalmist. There, there are psalms like this that recount the depths of human anguish and suffering. Why? Because that is common to the human experience in a fallen world. Job said in, in Job 5, 7, for man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. As sure as you light a campfire and the sparks go up, there will be trouble in this life. Why is that? Well, sometimes we face trouble because of our own sin. Verse 11 describes the, or, or verse 10, the, the indignation and wrath of God. It's possible that this suffering was in, in light of the sin of this individual. Certainly the national suffering of Israel was a consequence of their sin. Sometimes it's because of others sin. Verse eight, he says, my enemies have reproached me. Those who deride me have used my name as a curse. Some of his suffering and anguish was because of others. Sometimes it's simply the reality of life in a fallen world. You see, the reality is our circumstances change, sometimes for the better, often for the worse, in contrast to God who is eternally the same. The psalmist highlights a second contrast. We see that our lives are brief. We, we saw this briefly in verse 11 as we read it where he says, my days are like a lengthened shadow and I wither away like grass. He picks up on this theme more directly even in verse 23, the, the second round of lament when he says, he has weakened my strength in the way. He has shortened my days. I say, oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days for your years are throughout all generations. The psalmist is reflecting on the reality that his life is going to come to an end. He knew what we all know, that our lives are, are but a vapor, a, a, a brevity that, that is here and then gone. We are anything but eternally the same. You and I were conceived at a point in time. We went from not existing to existing and, and we grew and changed as, uh, growing as a baby. You look out at this room and you see the, the different seasons of life of young children who are growing and into uh, a child and a teenager and an adult. And you know, a lot of us in this room are now at the stage where many of our changes are for the worse, right? <laughs> 
We wither like grass, our strength is weakened, our days are shortened. I was reminded of this last night, my wife and I were playing some basketball with our girls. We, we have five daughters, uh, four of them are at home right now and all of them enjoy basketball and so we, we sometimes play against them and we have for years and, and for a lot of our life, two parents, Christy and I versus any of our children or any number of our children was a victory for us. But recently, that has begun to change. Now it is, it is the exception when we win, and we may never win again, I don't know. Uh, our, our children, especially our younger two, are continuing to get better, and they have gotten taller, and we are unfortunately on the other side of that, where we are getting older and slower and not as agile as we once were. And so we are aware of that reality that we change, we deteriorate. Ultimately, we die compared to God whose years are throughout all generations. We are a contrast, our lives are brief. But we see a a third contrast that the creation will perish Continue from verse 24 into verse 25. He says, your years are throughout all generations. Of old you founded the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. He says creation had a beginning. It was because of the power of God that all that we see on earth and in the heavens came into existence. And we look at those things and we see stability. You know, we see the stars that that for generations have been used to do what? To to chart navigation, because why? They're always where they're supposed to be. And we see the the world around us, the, the earth. But he says, as stable as those things seem to us, verse 26, even they will perish. But you endure and all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing you will change them and they will be changed. You know, our world is changing. You know, you, you do see the, the earth around us slowly eroding and the various things that happen. One day this earth will be destroyed. One day God will, will re, uh, recreate a new heavens and a new earth and and this one will be no more. As stable as this seems, it will perish. Earth and heavens will significantly change. They will wear out, they will be changed for one day God will will fully renovate. Christy and I have lived in our house over a a decade now and we did quite a bit of work when we moved in. Uh, It had been a rental property and so needed a lot of a lot of work, new flooring, new paint, and now we're at the stage where it's like, oh, that carpet we put in when we moved in is, is you know, through dogs and children and all those things. It's like, we gotta redo this. So it is with the earth and the heavens. You think this will last. <laughs> this is, it's all good now, but it's no, it's, it's declining and, and it will one day be gone. See, the reality is our circumstances change. Our lives are brief. Even the creation will perish, but all that is in contrast to God. As we see, secondly, the certainty that God is eternally the same. I want you to notice the truth that the psalmist turns to as he is lamenting his own circumstances and the brevity of his life. What is it that he focuses on relative to God's character? 
The first thing we see is that God is eternal. Look back at verse 12. After that first round of lament, what does he say? Verse 12, he says, but you, O Lord, abide forever and your name to all generations. He says, Lord, you remain forever. You abide forever or you sit enthroned forever. God exists forever and he rules and he reigns forever. So much so that he says in the second half of that verse, your name to all generations. There will never be a generation that does not know God. That doesn't mean they won't know him personally, but God is clear and present and ruling in every generation. He is eternal and his rule is eternal. There is no term limit for being God. We were reminded this past week as the Speaker of the House was voted out that human power and authority is temporal, it's fleeting. That is not the case for God. No one is voting out God. Notice that second lament in verse 23 and 24 as he laments his strength failing and his life and its brevity, he contrasts that in the end of verse 24 with God and he says, your years are throughout all generations. And he bookends that at the end of verse 27, you are the same and your years will not come to an end. He says, God is eternal. When I look at my circumstances changing, the brevity of my life, I am comforted by and I am rooted in the reality that God is eternal. He has no such limitations. And this is not just the hope of this one psalmist. This is the consistent testimony of all of scripture. Isaiah 41 verse four, God says, who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. Why do we speak of God as the first and the last, as the alpha and the omega? Because he always has been and always will be. Isaiah 43.10, he says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. God has always been, and he has always been God, and always will be God. Isaiah 43, 13, even from eternity, I am he, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? God has no beginning. God has no end. God always is. Interestingly, he is, he's not just eternal in that he exists forever. We also see that he's not subject to time, that time was something God created. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but but think of a text like 2 Peter 3.8 where it says, do not let this fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. This is a, a reflection of the fact that God created time. Now he operates within it. He functions in time, having created time, but he is, it is not eternally existed in time, nor is he bound by time. Think about it. If, if if there was an eternity of time 
I don't think we could ever get to the present moment because there would be an eternity of moments prior to us. Time had to be a created reality for us. Sort of blows our mind, doesn't it? Really isn't the point, but think about that for a moment. God, God is eternal. God has always been. Again, these are truths that we learn in Sunday school when we were very young. But they are truths that need to, to sink deeply into our heart, not just theologically, but practically as an anchor in the midst of ever-changing world. God always was, he always is, he always will be, but that's not the only reality about God at the core of the psalmist's hope. We see secondly that God is immutable. God does not change. Back in verses 25 through 27, when he highlighted the, the shifting reality, the, the changing reality of creation, he says, you founded the earth, verse 26, they will perish, but you endure. All of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing, you will change them, and they will be changed, but you are the same. Literally, this phrase, you are the same, means is you are he. If you remember, the, the personal name of God is Yahweh. It is, I am who I am. God says, what is my name? It's I am. You say, that's a, that's a weird name, right? For us, that would be, because it's not true of us but it's true of God, it's the core of who God is. He is the one who has always been, I am, and he has always been exactly what he is. That's why the translators translate this as, you are the same, because you are always you, who you are in, in perfection. You see, God's essence does not change. The, the essential nature of God is consistent. God's character does not change. He does not grow and mature. He is always consistent with himself. God's decree does not change. What God desires and wills, God's wisdom and knowledge never change. He has and always will know all things. In Isaiah 46, four, he says this, even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it, I will carry you, for I will bear you and I will deliver you. He says, no matter what happens to you in your old age, I'm still there and I'm still me, I'm the same. God does not, he cannot change, he is immutable. Now immutable is a word we don't use often in various contexts, maybe you're familiar with like the, the teenage mutant ninja turtles, that context of, of turtles that changed, that were transformed, they were mutated into something different. Immutable just means that change is not possible, it doesn't happen, it's, it's not true of God. Again, God's eternality is necessary for him to be immutable, but it's not just that God exists forever, it's that he exists exactly as he is forever. He is perfectly consistent as himself. Again, this is not just wishful thinking of the psalmist, this is not the psalmist saying, my life is in shambles, I really hope God stays the same. No, this is the consistent testimony of God and of scripture. Malachi 3.6 says, for I, the Lord, 
do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Or James 1.17 says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. You know, that's simply not true of us as people, is it? We change, we, we grow, we mature. All of us, even the, the most godly people that we interact with, there's some reality that you never know exactly what you're gonna get, right? You know, kids know, hey, if my, if my dad's had a long day at work and, and he's a little bit tired and, and hungry, you know, he may respond a little differently. I'm gonna wait and I'm gonna ask him if I can go spend the night at a friend's house later because dad is not always the same. We are not that, but God is the same. Hebrews 13, eight says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. God is eternal, he is immutable, he is eternally the same. Now briefly, I wanna respond thirdly to some challenges to God being eternally the same. There are some who say, no, that can't be true about God. And they tend to do so because of two things that we see in scripture. One is, is texts where, where they would say, well, what about God, quote, changing his mind? Texts like Exodus 32, nine and 10, where the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now let me alone that my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them and I will make of you a great nation. And they say, well, wait a minute, see, God, God said he was gonna do one thing, and then he said, no, I'm, I'm gonna do something else instead. God's changed his mind. He can't be the same. Might use examples like 1 Samuel 15, when Saul was the king, and God said, oh, no, never mind, you're not gonna continue to be king. Now David will be king. Or Jonah chapter three, where, where Jonah went and prophesied 40 days and judgment's coming, and, and judgment did not, in fact, come. Or some say, well, what about God's emotional responses where we see sort of the, the, uh, uh, the, the thoughts of God's heart, places like Genesis 6 where it says the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. You know, we think of a change in emotion as, as a change, and if God is responding, he's, he's, he, he's changing in some way. That's not true. You see, God often communicates about himself in human terms so we can understand him. You understand when scripture speaks of things like God's eyes or God's ears or he, he, he covers us like the wings of something. That, those are not physical realities about God. In the same way, when God speaks of things like being sorry, it's not an exact, um, ex the exact same thing as human emotions. It's helping us to understand that God does respond to his creatures. He's not detached and isolated. But the reality is God is self-sufficient. We're not ruining God's day or surprising him. He's not dependent on us in any way. Job 35, five and seven puts it this way. It says, look at the heavens and see and, the, and behold the clouds, they are higher than you. If you have sinned, what do you accomplish against him? If your transgressions are many, what do you do to him? If you're righteous, what do you give to him? Or what does he receive from your hand? See God, cares about and God responds to our sin and our righteousness, but it is not somehow affecting God. It does not change any reality about him. 
So what do we see in these passages where God seems to change his mind or he's responding to his creatures? Well, he's really just responding consistently with his character and in accordance with his promises to his creatures who do in fact change. We could put it this way, God himself does not change and therefore the manner in which he relates to his creation is utterly consistent. For example, think of the fact that unrepentant sinners always face judgment, whereas repentant sinners find mercy and compassion. God is consistent in that. It's not like, well, gee, I wonder how will God respond to an unrepentant sinner? No, we know, because God is the same. But the manner in which he relates to his creation in specific instances does appropriately change given the changes in his creation. A sinner repents and thereby God's disposition changes from judgment to mercy and compassion. God is not having a mood swing. He's not changing his mind. He is responding perfectly and consistently with his character and in accordance with his promises. 1 Samuel 15, 23, when God rejected Saul as king, he says, the the prophet says to Saul, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. God didn't change. Saul rejected God's word and God responded exactly as God responds. Turn to to Jonah chapter four briefly. I think we, we see this with with Jonah in a, in a powerful way. You remember Jonah didn't wanna to go to Nineveh. God commanded him to go and proclaim judgment was coming. And Jonah said, uh, no thanks, I think I'll go the other way. He didn't want them to repent. He didn't want them to, to turn to the Lord. But eventually in chapter three, Jonah goes and he began to cry out against the city in judgment and the people responded in repentance. The king issued a, uh, a, a decree and, and the people responded, verse nine, he said, who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them and he did not do it. Had God changed? No. Chapter four, verse one says, but it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. Wrong response, right? God's grace towards others should elicit praise from us. God's compassion towards others because we also are recipients of that grace and compassion. We don't stand in judgment. No, God judged them. No, we, we exalt the graciousness of God. But, but notice what Jonah does, verse two, he prayed to the Lord And he said, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. Why? For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. Jonah said, God, I knew you were like this and you're always like this. You always are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. And I knew my worst fear was I go and I preach judgment against those people and if they repent, I knew you'd forgive them and I didn't want that so I didn't go. Jonah is saying, God, 
you are exactly the same. You are entirely predictable, God. Your character is fixed. And I knew exactly what you would do because you are God. God is eternally the same. And this is a fact that gives us such hope and confidence. So let's look lastly at our confidence from God being eternally the same. One commentator writes of this psalm, God's permanence not only stands in stark contrast to the psalmist's own overwhelming sense of personal transience, but it provides a reassuring answer to it. You see, this psalm is not simply theological. It's not just a contrast. Yeah, these things change and God doesn't. This psalm is, is where the rubber meets the road in a life filled with trials and disappointments. It's the reality of of what do we cling to when everything else is shifting underneath us and around us. Because God is eternally the same, we have first confidence in God's character. Confidence in God's character. We see this back in verses 12 and 13 when the psalmist writes this, when he said, but you, O Lord, abide forever and your name to all generations. Verse 13, he says, you will arise and have compassion on Zion for it is time to be gracious to her for the appointed time has come. The psalmist says, God, you never change. You abide forever and because of that, I know you will be compassionate. This is very similar to what Jonah was saying. He said, God, I I know this about you. I know this is true of you. You see, we know God will act in accordance with his character. With people, we don't always know how they're going to respond, but with God, we know how he will respond. Why? Because he is eternally the same, because we can have confidence in his character. Regardless of our circumstances, God's character is unchanging. You know, the reality is many people, and each of us are tempted to interpret our our circumstances, or to interpret God through their circumstances. So they look at what's going on around them or in their life and they say, oh, because of this, this must be true of God. How, How can God be loving since this is what is taking place? The reality is we are to interpret our circumstances through the character of God. I know God is loving even though this is what is going on in my life. Because God never changes, we have confidence in his character, in in who he is and who he always has been, even when things change. We have secondly, confidence in God's promises. That's really what the psalmist clings to in verses 13 through 22 in this psalm. When he he moves from, from lamenting his own personal struggles and trials and anguish and and articulating the character of God to now what God will do in the future. Notice he said you will have compassion on Zion, verse 13, for it's time to be gracious to her, for the appointed time has come. 
Surely your servants find pleasure in her stones and feel pity for her dust. So the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord has built up Zion for he's appeared in glory. He's regarded the prayer of the destitute and has not despised their prayer. This will be written for the generations to come that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. For he looked down from his holy height. He gazed upon the earth to hear the groanings of the prisoner to set free those who were doomed to death, that men may tell of the name of the Lord in Zion and praise in Jerusalem when the peoples are gathered together in the kingdoms to serve the Lord. We don't have time to look in detail at exactly what the psalmist is, is predicting and looking forward to, but essentially he is clinging to the promise of the restoration of Israel and the conversion of the Gentiles to one day praise the Lord. Why is he clinging to that? Well, it's because God has said elsewhere, this is what's gonna happen. And he knows God is faithful to what he has promised. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? God always keeps his promises because he is eternally the same. Why do people break their promises? Maybe even when they really meant what they promised initially. You know, sometimes we don't follow through on our promises because our, our circumstances changed. We intended to do something, but for some reason we can't. Or maybe our knowledge changed. We learned something else that made it such that we uh, could not or chose not to do that. Or we simply lacked the ability to fulfill them. We said we committed to do more than we really could commit to do. God has none of those problems. Nothing ever changes about God. God never learns anything new. God is never limited in any way. He is always faithful to fulfill his promises. For the psalmist, it was primarily that promise of restoration for Israel. But it's not just that promise that God is faithful to fulfill. It's that promise of his return, that Christ will come as judge to rule the world and and that we will rule with him as his people. His promise to work all things for good to those who love him. It's his promise to build his church. No matter what the gates of hell throws at it, nothing will stop Christ from executing his plan to redeem a people for himself and to build and purify that church. And so many more promises. Again, many people interpret God's faithfulness to his promises through their lens of the expected timing. They think, oh, God said he would do this, but he hasn't done it yet, at least not how I can see clearly, and so maybe God's not faithful. That was 2 Peter 3 regarding the return of Christ when people were saying, you know, Christ hadn't come yet, so he's probably not coming. No, the reality is God's eternal. His timing is different than ours. He doesn't feel the same urgency that we do as temporal, finite people who live brief lives, but God will faithfully fulfill his promises. And so we need to have our confidence in him faithfully fulfilling his promises. Um, we, We need to adjust our expectation of the timing of that fulfillment. We haven't seen it yet, but we know we will. God will be faithful. We also because of God's unchanging character, have confidence in God's word. We, we don't see this directly in this psalm, but it is, it is all over 
the, the scripture that the word of God is sure because the character of God is fixed and his promises are fixed and so we can have confidence in what he has said. Psalm 119.89 says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It's not just what God has promised that is sure and settled. It's everything that God has revealed about himself in this book. It is perfect. It is sure. God does not have a revised edition because he said, oh, wait, I forgot that, or I learned something new, or, oh, humanity changed, and now I need to reveal something. No. God's word is sure. 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25 says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. God's word is sure. We have confidence in it. We have confidence, fourthly, in our salvation. If God was not eternally the same, we would always live with a a faint bit of fear that maybe God will change his mind. You know, as as a person, we we live with that reality with others. You know, if, if my children, if I say, yeah, you can do that this weekend, there's always a little bit of thought that maybe dad will change his mind for some reason. Now, it wouldn't be because of my shifting character. It may be as a result of something they did. But, um, but no, it's, it could be because of me. Um, but with our salvation, we can be tempted to feel that way, to think that, oh, maybe, maybe this isn't gonna actually work out quite as well as we think it is. But God says, no, your salvation is secure because I do not change. You guys have studied through Hebrews and in Hebrews chapter six, God is speaking to the, the covenant that, that we enjoy, the confidence of that reality. It says in verse 17 of Hebrews six, in the same way God desiring even more to show you the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. He says, God makes it clear. I, I, I am not lying, you have confidence, you can take hold of a sure, settled hope. Verse 19, this hope is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as the forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You know, when we make an oath, we swear on something greater than ourselves. God can do no such thing. God can only make an oath based on himself, the unchangeable one, on his character and his promise. And he says, you have a sure hope, a steadfast anchor, You and I, if we are in Christ, can know that when we stand before God, he is going to view us and welcome us into his presence as his children because of the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf and Christ's perfect righteousness imputed to us. And God is not gonna change his mind and say, oh wait, never mind. No, we have a sure hope, an anchor for our soul. If you are not in Christ today, 
If you have never come to a place of repentance and faith in Jesus alone, you can have the confidence that if you will call on the name of the Lord, you will in fact be saved because God has spoken that truth and he has revealed the hope that you can find in the gospel. And when we come to him in repentance and faith, we can know for sure that we have been forgiven and adopted as his children. We have confidence in our salvation because God is eternally the same. And lastly, we have confidence for the future. Notice how Psalm 102 ends. He says, you are the same, verse 27, and your years will not come to an end. Verse 28, the children of your servants will continue and their descendants will be established before you. See, the psalmist has acknowledged his own transitoriness, the fact that his life is brief, but as he looks towards the future, I think there's a recognition that these things that I am hoping in and looking forward to, I may not see them, but the, the promises of God are sure such that the children of your servants will continue. God will always have a people for himself. God will continue to be faithful to his people. My generation may not see all of that fleshed out in detail, but God will continue to be faithful. And so we look with confidence on the future because God is the same and his years will not come to, the, to an end. You know, the reality is a lot may change in your life this week. Maybe simple things like how well your car works or how much air is in one of your tires. Maybe your health or the health of a loved one. It, it may be your employment or your financial status. It, it may be relationships with others in this world or significant events on the world stage that, that affect us in ways we don't even recognize. But God is not one of those things that will change this week. Psalm 102, 25 through 27 says, of old you founded the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. And all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing, you will change them and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not come to an end. May he be the anchor of your soul. May we live with a stability that is grounded in him, with confidence in his character, with confidence in his promises, with confidence in his word, confidence in our salvation, and confidence for the future. Praise God, the one and only who is eternally the same. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are so thankful that in the midst of a world and lives that are constantly shifting and changing, that you are the one enduring reality on which our hope and confidence is fixed. Thank you that regardless of what we face in this life, that we know you are the same. Lord, the character that you have revealed in your word, the character that we have seen demonstrated in our own lives is the exact same character that you will continue to demonstrate tomorrow and next week and next month and next year and for all of eternity. 
Thank you that the promises that you've made are sure that we can cling to those realities knowing you will always be faithful to fulfill your word. Thank you that you've given us a book that is true, that has all the wisdom that you have given to us that we need and it is fixed. Thank you that our salvation in Christ is sure, that we have a sure and steady anchor, that we need not fear when we face, uh, when we stand in your presence because of the finished work of Christ on our behalf. Thank you that as we look to the future, a future that is unknown to us, a future that we do not um, know all that will transpire or take place, that we can look to that future with confidence knowing that you will still be God and you will still be you, you will still be exactly the same as you have always been, the bedrock of our soul. Lord, we praise you and thank you for who you are. In Christ's name, amen.